0: Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāya. Om Namo Bhagavate bhagavate Vāsudevāya. So, we are embarking on a journey now through the end of this canto and looking at the structure of the universe and the beautiful prayers and the upcoming Chapters are the residence of Jambudweep. Some of the most famous prayers in the Bhagavatam, and I've sent you two files. One was a brief overview of the fifth canto, and the other was the philosophical thrust in Sukadev Goswami's description of the universe. I'll just, since I gave that for you to read, and I know a lot of devotees listen to these. Lectures on um, audio afterwards. And so you may, I don't know how we can get you these documents, but I'll give a brief overview of the first one, or the second one, the philosophical thrust of in Sukadev Goswami's description of the universe. So we heard about Judd Bharat's teachings to King Rahugana, and then Maharaj Parikshit asked Sukadev Goswami to talk about these seven islands of Jambodweet, because we heard about that way earlier in this canto when King Priyavrata's chariot wheels carved out with these deep impressions, these seven islands. And then the question is, when the mind is fixed on the Supreme Personality of Godhead, well, the answer uh, from Sukadeva Swami says, when the mind is fixed on Krishna in his external feature, made of the modes of nature, that is the gross universal form, it is brought to the platform of pure goodness, the mind. In that transcendental position, one can understand Vasudev, who in his subtler form is self-effulgent and beyond the modes of nature. Oh my lord, please describe vividly, though this is Marsh, how that form, which covers the entire universe, is perceived. we're going to study that verse. That's the third verse from this chapter. So that but that question is what thrusts us through the rest of this canto. And Sukadeva Goswami, he, that's what encourages him to explain the structure of the universe and Krishna's inconceivable potencies. And he answers, you know, these questions, like I said, all the way through to chapter 24. Now, uh, let's let's go to the chapter and look at the third verse, especially that purport and talk more than related more to these um, two files that I sent you. So we're on verse number one, chapter 16, Canto 5. King Frikshet said to Sukadeva Swami, O Brahmana, you have already informed me that the radius of Bhumandala extends as far as the sun spreads its light and heat, and as far as the moon and all stars can be seen. Text 2. My dear Lord, the rolling wheels of Maharaj Priyabhata's chariot created seven ditches in which the seven oceans came into existence. Because of these seven oceans, bhumandala is divided into seven islands. You have given a very general description of their measurement, names, and characteristics. Now I wish to know them in detail. Kindly fulfill my desire. And then the verse that we just read. When when the mind is fixed upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead in this external feature made of the material modes of nature, the gross material, the gross universal form, it is brought to the platform of pure goodness. In that transcendental position, one can understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vasudev, who in his subtler form is self effulgent and beyond the modes of nature. Oh, my Lord, please describe vividly how that form which covers the universe is perceived. So there's two questions, right? This one we just read, please describe vividly how that form which covers the entire universe is perceived. And in verse number two, I wish to know them in detail, kindly fulfill my desire. So Prabhupada begins the purport where he says the universal form is certainly material, but because everything is an expansion of the energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Ultimately, nothing is material. Um, that takes a little thought to understand that, isn't it? And let's continue towards the end of the purport. One should not give up anything connected with the Supreme Personality of Godhead, thinking it material or enjoyable for the material senses. So that's kind of connects to what we just read, right? That if if we think it's material... And therefore, usually when you think something's material, you try to judge whether or not it will be satisfying to my senses. But if we see that it's Krishna's, then we only think of engaging it properly, right? The example that Prabhupada gives, we've spoke about this before, is the wallet. You find a wallet with a bunch of money and credit cards on the street. And for some of us, maybe probably me, the first thought that uh, goes into the mind is, wow, um, I got a few hundred dollars now. Great. Right? We, we keep it for ourselves. Another person might see it and just say, well, I'm not going to get involved. It's not mine. And just leave it there. But the, the best person will see it, pick it up, go through it, find out who it belongs to, and return it to whence it came. We find that person and return it to them. Not trying to enjoy it for themselves, but also not just saying I have nothing to do with it. So that's the karmi and the ghani. But the devotee will utilize, see the connection with the person to whom it actually belongs and return it to them for their pleasure. So even the senses when purified are spiritual. How do you like that? Our senses can cause us so much trouble but when they're attracted to Krishna and engaged in Krishna's service, they're purified. When Maharaj Pariksit was thinking of the universal form of the Lord, his mind was certainly situated on the transcendental platform. Therefore, although he might not have any reason to be concerned with detailed information of the universe, he was thinking of it in relationship to the Supreme Lord. And therefore, such geographic knowledge was not material but transcendental. So you might, you know, what the details of the universe, what, what is that needed for a prema-bhakti, a person on the highest level of prema, of Krishna consciousness. But still, there is an interest in relationship to Krishna. Just like in the first canto, Prabhupada says that there's so much in the first canto about politics and sociology and 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 family intrigue things that you might read in a novel someplace or in a non-fiction book. But it, this first canto attracts the devotee because all those things are in relationship to Krishna. So elsewhere in the Bhagavatam, oh Prabhupada quotes this, elsewhere in the Bhagavatam, Narayana Muni has said, hi bishvam bhagavan The entire universe is also the Supreme Personality of God, although it appears different from him. Therefore, although Pariksit Maharaj had no need for geographic knowledge of this universe that knowledge was also spiritual and transcendental because he was thinking of the entire universe why was it spiritual and transcendental because he was thinking of the entire universe as an expansion of the energy of the lord so having that you know krishna sambandha seeing the, the relationship with krishna that is real renunciation. And we've, we've talked about this so many times, but it's such a beautiful point, so we can say it one more time, that Rupa Goswami's definition, and that real renunciation is, is seeing things in connection with Krishna. That then you're above possessiveness, you're above impersonal thought, you're above thinking of things for your own pleasure. So you use the whole world. You don't reject the world. You use the whole world, but in Krishna's service. It's such a it's such an elegant solution to the problems of material attachment on one side and impersonal rejection of the world on the other. It's a synthesis of those two. It's it's such a Amazing philosophical point. So then Prabhupada goes on in the next in the last paragraph to connect this philosophical point to our practical lives. Okay. And we can even connect this even perhaps further to those of us who have occupations and jobs, etc. In our preaching work, also we deal with so much property and money, so many books bought and sold. But because these dealings all pertain to the Krishna consciousness movement, they should never be considered material. That one is absorbed in thoughts of such management does not mean that he is outside of Krishna consciousness. If one rigidly observes the regulated principles of chanting 16 rounds of the maha mantra every day, his dealings with the material world for the sake of spreading the Krishna conscious movement are not different from the spiritual cultivation of Krishna consciousness. So, even the, doing things in this world, if we see the Krishna Sambandha, if we make that connection, then there, those are also not material. Prabhupada does give the warning, however, that we need to have our sadhana, our actual spiritual practices, our Swarup Siddhi Bhakti, or our Panchanga Bhakti, the five most potent items of bhakti. We need to do that, because he says we have to be chanting our 16 rounds strict, rigidly. So if we do those kind of things, um, it, it, we, we we may be doing so much in this world, but we can still remain aloof. So there was a lot there, some comments, questions, thoughts.
1: <laughs> um, yes, Andy? Yeah, I just want to get this out quickly because there was so much material in those, just those attachments you sent us, we could spend the whole class just discussing those.
0: We could, yes.
1: So uh i liked uh in the same purport we're talking about okay. uh, this the sentence therefore although uh parakshit maharaj had no need for geographical knowledge of this universe right right so i would just shorten shorten that into a sentence and say parakshit maharaj had no need for geographical knowledge of this universe so that <clears throat> my standpoint is regardless of all these arguments about the different models of the universe, we're in here to know God, not to know (laughs) the details of the universe. That's just like a parlor game. Actually, even science has competing models of the universe. uh, One of which is that the, um, this whole universe could be a holographic projection. And that is very serious. The mathematics show that, right? So it could actually be like a film, (laughs) <laughs> from broadcast from a distant point, making us see the whole universe. It actually, that's a real thing. So they have, and that's a seems far out, but it's just as valid as any other model they have. And 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 these attachments also had competing models. They had one where they said the sun is the center of the universe, and everything's orbiting around, which sounds pretty good. It sounds like a big solar system. Then they had other ones where the it sounds like the whole universe is almost mountains. Because if you have a mountain that's eighty thousand miles high, I and mean, that's <laughs> a lot of mountain. That's, that's
0: uh, big. That would take a little time to climb.
1: So <laughs> even those are competing models. So they seem like just a lot of details. That's all that's all I wanted to say.
0: No, thank you. And then we should maybe maybe we should get into that uh now. Um let me share something since we're talking about that now. Again, people who are not are uh, listening to this on the audio will not be able to see this, unfortunately, but it's one of the many, many photos from the Hubble Telescope. Um, it, there's so many amazing pictures from that. And this is, oops, uh let me just move this a little bit. You can see that now, I assume? Ah, can you see that picture? Yes. Okay, so that's just one galaxy. <laughs> Right from the Hubble uh, spacecraft, and where is my information? I just did a little. Oh, I did something wrong with my uh, vision. Let me get out of that for a second and go to my notes here. Okay, so that was. One, one, it's an amazing picture of, of all these different stars and things from one galaxy. And just a little research said that, you know, research released in 2016 revised the number of galaxies. Like you said, revised, that means they changed again, right? The number of galaxies in the observable universe from a previous estimation of 200 billion to a suggestion of 2 trillion or more. So that's just, so in other words, this picture that I just showed you is one of, you know, their estimation of two trillion such galaxies, <laughs> right? Again, now you can see that picture again, right? That's, it's, it's in, it really is inconceivable if that's one of two trillion, isn't that amazing?
1: One and, two trillion in the observable universe.
0: Yes, right, right. And it's and, expanding,
1: so there's a thousand times more that can't be observed, at least.
0: Right, right. And, and that's just uh, this one universe, okay? And uh, so, okay, so just a two trillion or more, and overall as many as an estimated 10 to the power of 24 stars, and that is more stars than all the grains of sand on planet Earth. So we can just have some, if we if we accept the teachings of the Bhagavatam, we can have some idea of Krishna's greatness. And this is, of course, you see the next picture? This is, of course, uh, one must be, this, our universe that we live in, is considered one mustard seed in a huge bag of mustard seeds. This isn't even a huge bag, this is just a, a small bowl and a serving container. Okay, but you get the idea. And then so that's how many different universes there are. And at best, the material world is one-fourth the size of the spiritual world. Whew. So this gives us some glimpse into Krishna's greatness, and maybe even some glimpse into how you know it's it's too it's too vast to comprehend, really, even by by any standards how how but the devotees can be amazed at how great krishna is <coughs> Prabhupada writes that uh, the glories of the lord in the transcendental 75% of the lord's internal potency are stated in the Patma prana it is said that there are numer- that the number of planets in the spiritual world which compr- which comprises the 75% expansion of the internal potency of the lord is far far greater than the number of planets in the total universe is Composed of the external
2: potency.
0: In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the total universes and the external potency of the Lord are compared to a bucket full of mustard seeds. One mustard seed is calculated to be a universe itself. In one of the universes in which we are now living, the number of planets cannot be counted by human energy. So, how can we think of the sum total of all the universes which are compared to a bucket full of mustard seeds? And the number of planets in the spiritual sky or is at least three times the number in the material sky. <laughs> so it's all mind boggling, isn't it? <laughs> and in one of those uh, uh readings that we had it also, you know, talked about even, you know, coming from uh various uh sources that, uh an article does the multiverse really exists, right? And he's saying nothing is wrong with scientifically-based philosophical speculation, which is what multiverse proposals are, but we should name it for what it is. So he's just saying that there may be even, even, uh, you know, people with a scientific leaning talk about the possibility of multiple universes. So it's just beyond our comprehension and then Burijan Prabhu quotes Ravinda of by saying that there's also a uh, epistemological aspect to this, right that learning to see ourself and everything else in relationship with the Lord's universal form will help us develop our seeing and getting to know Krishna. But the process of perception demands a purity of consciousness. Our four regulated principles are not merely moral principles but principles of cognition. Part of our process of knowing means learning to scientifically explore the universe by ridding ourselves of the modes of passion and ignorance. Then, after being situated in goodness, we move on to the state of pure goodness, vishuddha Sattva. In that state, we can begin to see somewhat the way God sees. So, interesting, right? That our principles are not just moral, but they're cognition, you Krishna gives you vision, uh, gives you a clear way of seeing the world. So, some other thoughts on this.
3: Hare Krishna? Yes? So, uh, you know, reading about the vastness and the magnitude of the material universes or galaxies, like, you know, how you show us graphically, bowl of mustard seeds, or otherwise, the graphic uh, picture. Um, I'm thinking that uh, the living entity is entangled with all those 8.4 million species of existence and then their entanglement, the magnitude is huge. And so when you're saying that how one can, you know, from Burijan Prabhu's uh, writing, the how one can eventually transcend, a small percentage of people can uh, living entities can transcend the modes to be able to understand this being in the mode of goodness. Is that what you said? Once they are close to the mode of goodness, they can, well, we, yeah, we can see they things, can things more understand. clearly as
0: we rise through the modes. Yes.
3: So uh, yeah, the, the sort of I'm able to see things a little bit in the perspective, like, well, you know, when I started to read the essay, it was very technical for me. Uh, it certainly helps to go through these sections you are, the way you are explaining. So, yeah, I'm able to have an understanding and appreciation for the vastness uh, of this whole creation. And uh, still, we are many few parts somewhere. I mean, I can't even begin to comprehend about it. We We are looking at... One grain, like one universe out here but in that picture where, where we are, the second picture which we saw.
0: Yes, we are. You know that story, we've told it a few times, but I guess it's worth repeating for those who may not remember it. But Prabhupada was once talking with one of his famous, most famous disciples, and he goes through this description how the material universe is only one quarter of the spiritual of the whole creation. And in this material world, there's unlimited universes. We're in one universe. In this one universe, there are unlimited planets and stars. We're in one planet. In this planet, there are over 200 countries. We're in one country, the United States. In the United States, there are so many cities, and we're in one city, Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, there's so many thousands, thousands, thousands of houses, and we're uh, on one house on Watsika Avenue. And in this temple, there are many, many rooms, and we're in one of those rooms and still there's one Tamal Krishna who thinks he's very important. <laughs> so he was he was lovingly uh, chastising his most wonderful disciple, uh, his holiness, Tamal Krishna Maharaj. But it, it, it's, it's a little hard to be puffed up uh, or to think that, you know, uh, when we got that flat tire, that that's like such an important thing. When we see, you know, Pictures like this, right, uh, of one galaxy of 200 trillion galaxies in our universe, and uh, yeah, it's it's quite uh, so. It's good. So this fifth canto, and this is you know the reason I sent you those essays. It does have a purpose, meant a number of purposes, and it's. Uh, it, it can be a very humbling and faith-building experience if we look at it through the uh, through the right lenses. Thank you for your points, Amanda uh, 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 Rootwood, Davy. Other thoughts?
4: Hi, Krishna. Yes. Uh, please accept my humble obeisances. Always. Uh, one thing one thing comes to my mind is just uh, the scriptures, like a mother, uh, when we read this, like helps us to bring the humility inside us. Um, The material world gives the pride and then like, uh, and the scriptures teaches us how, uh, how eminent we are. So, you know, it helps us the humility. That's, that's the thing that I got in my mind. Thank
0: you. Thank you. And Prabhupada writes in the first canto, right, that it is natural that a philosophical mind wants to know the origin of the creation. At night, he sees the stars in the sky and he naturally speculates about their inhabitants, such inquiries are natural for man because man has a developed consciousness which is higher than the animals so it is natural to to wonder and and I think for I mean what's the, okay so you may not have a Hubble telescope yet if you ever leave the city and are out in a place where there's not a lot of lights artificial lights at night and it's a and it's not a full moon, maybe it's a new moon, and it's a clear night, no clouds, it's amazing what you can see, even with just a naked eye. Isn't it? I have, probably all of us have had that experience sometime in our life. It's, it, And that's nothing compared to what's really out there. Yeah, And, and therefore, Prabhupada's main point about the, the moon excursion was what wasted so much money and made such an effort. And what did we bring back? You know, you can go to uh, the Smithsonian and see the rocks. But, but imagine how we could have utilized all that incredible billions of dollars. Um, as Prabhupada said, for distrib- for producing books or even for the betterment of, you know, the, 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 just the making the world a better place. <laughs> um, so that was his main concern, uh, concern about that. And that's quoted in Bray uh writings. Other
1: thoughts? Well, just, yes, they also and, had a quote I really love where from Prabhupada saying, I don't really know anything about the moon, right? So he's, he's not coming on as an expert. It was a doctrinal thing, like saying, look, the whole world's supposed to stop and sit on the edge of their seats because they're fooling around and spending all this money and everything. That's what he was against. Yes. Not the technical matter of did they step on the moon? He's just saying it's a big waste of time, and I don't really know anything about the moon anyway. <laughs> That's what he said. It was in that document. Yeah.
0: Yes. And also, yes, And he also said that you know the, there is a description in the Shastra, which he accepts, which was different than, you know, and, there's the, and he gave different explanations at different times about that. But your point, yes, your point is, and I think you made this point right in the beginning, Andy, that human life is short, We should utilize it for loving and understanding God.
5: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Other thoughts? Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Devya Anand Prabhu. One small thing to add. I also read somewhere that Srila Prabhupada said, the only way to go to moon is after you die. There's no way to go to moon right now. And find life there. You can only find life if you are qualified to go there uh, in your next life.
0: And certainly, the descriptions of the moon as given in the Shastras, what he's referring to. He he said different things at different times. He said uh, that uh, they have been uh, de- uh, uh, deviated to Rahu, or they went to an uninhabited part, or they didn't go. Or, but his main point was two things. Andy's point that Andy uh, repeated from him, and. Uh, and that he had faith in the, the Shastri description of the moon as a higher plan. Those two main points. Anyone else? Because this is kind of a you know important part of our discussion. Anything from Sugandha, Nandimuki, Rashmi, Shushil, Harinam Amrita, David, Premacharangani, Jyoti, Sundarananda. Hare
6: Krishna Prabhu? Yes, Rashmi. Yes, uh, on the principle of Yukta Vairagya, I, I was thinking how important it's is, it is to be sincere and you know, chanting over sixteen rounds and following the regular principles. Because there is that are into that are scientific minded or that are, that are into astrology or self care or all of these tangents, um with bhakti. But uh, I know they are sincere and they are able to use them in Krishna service in so many different ways. Mm.
0: If we could all be as sincere as you, we'd be very well off. Um, (laughs) One time Prabhupada Prabhupada was talking about the different philosophers. I think it was with Shama Sundar Prabhu. And they were saying, you know, well, was Hegel Krishna conscious? Was, you know, Socrates Krishna conscious? Was this person... And Prabhupada's answer was their sincerity is their Krishna consciousness. And, Rabbi, whom
6: did you mention again? Hegel. And who else? Hegel is a philosopher.
0: He was talking about different philosophers. And the devotees okay. were asking, Is this philosopher Krishna conscious? And he said, their sincerity is their Krishna consciousness. So that is and one one level, especially after we know the basic philosophy and we know that we're Krishna servants, servants, etc., the thing to really work on is that sincerity. And it's not; it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy. Uh, Ringo Starr wrote a song about that, <laughs> not in the same way, but you know, uh, he's wrote a song called so "Don't Come Easy." But the point. And, uh, sorry about that distraction. But the point is. Um, sincerity of purpose uh, one way of describing it is the second chapter verse 41 of the Gita to be single minded in one's determination and there are so many distractions my wife and I we were just talking the other day and we were kind of thinking what did we do for those 20 years that we lived in Vrindavan? we didn't have it well, until the last few years, we didn't have an internet. We didn't have a telephone, practically that worked, except for the last few years. We didn't have a television. We, we didn't even get the newspaper, because the newspapers were in Hindi. We couldn't read them so easily. So what, how did we spend our time? It was so blissful. It was easier to be focused. Because, uh, uh, what did, uh, uh, Radha Swami called the mobile phone, uh, uh, a uh, weapon of mass distraction. You know, uh, we, we can get so easily distracted, and that takes away from our sincerity. So thank you for bringing that up, Rashmi.
1: You know, you were talking about the moon. Um, I I think I re- read in Shamsundra's book that when, when there was the moon landing... Um, the Prabhupada did ask
5: to have a TV brought into his room so he could observe it. Uh, do you recall reading that? Or? Yes, he
0: did. Yes. Yes. And he got bored with it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, he wasn't impressed with it that way. Okay. Shall it was we shall... Very Blurry. It was very blurry. No one was impressed. You
1: know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and Henry's giving away his age. Because he remembers that, and David asks, "Would you agree that sincerity of purpose to exist that one's ego would need to be put in check?" Well, that's a very nice point, David. Uh, and you, uh, knowing that you that is your field of expertise, that's uh, that's that's very well taken. Yes, that there are things that blur our sincerity of purpose, and probably, like you say, the biggest one is our. If you're thinking of yourself. Especially if we're talking about sincerity of purpose and spiritual practices, if you're thinking about yourself a lot and what people think of you and how you know, and how many how all the things that you're really good at, etc., it's very very hard to sincerely call out for help to Krishna. Right? Prabhupada talks about how chanting is like the or it's a sincere cry of a child for its mother, and if your ego's as big as the uh, as the galaxy. <laughs> Yeah, then it's, it's very difficult to call out that kind of sincerity. So thank you for saying that, David. Yes. Okay, shall we continue? Okay, text number four. Um, the great Rishi Sukadeva Swami said, my dear King, there is no limit to the expansion of the Supreme Personality of God as material energy. So just try to understand that. There's no limit. This material world is a transformation of the material qualities, the three modes of nature, yet no one could possibly explain it perfectly. Okay, you hear that? No one could possibly explain it perfectly, even in a lifetime as long as that of Brahman. No one in the material world is perfect, and an imperfect person could not describe the material universe accurately, even after continued speculation. O King, I shall nevertheless try to explain to you the principal regions such as Laka, Uloca with their names, forms, measurements, and various symptoms. And Prabhupada writes, the material world is only one-fourth of the Supreme Personality of Godhead's creation, but it is unlimited and impossible for anyone to know or describe, even with the qualification of a lifetime as long as that of Brahma, who lives for billions, millions and millions of years. So Prabhupada used to say impossible is a word found in a fool's dictionary, but in this case, which applies to a different context, but in this context, he's saying it's impossible for anyone to know or describe. A little later, Srila Sukadeva Swami admitted that to give full details of the expansive material universe would be impossible. Again, that word. But nonetheless, he wanted to give the king as much knowledge as he had received through the Quran system. We should conclude that if one cannot comprehend the material expansions of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one uh, one certainly cannot estimate the expansiveness of the spiritual world. So, yes, (laughs) uh, well said by Srila Prabhupada. We've kind of touched upon these points uh, in our discussion already that that Prabhupada just made in the purport, but it's a good. It's a very important thing to keep this purport in mind as we go through these next chapters, these next eleven uh, chapters. So even Sukadeva Goswami cannot describe them completely. Any thoughts on that? We kind of covered it already. So let's. So we'll, we'll. We're we're going all the way up to verse twenty one now. Or did someone want to say something? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, name, okay?
2: yes. Um, I, I just want to kind of remind myself uh, one point here in this verses we have read so far is that what Yukadeva Goswami is going to present to Maharaj Krikshid, um, is actually um, how, how to say the, the universal form of the Lord. Mm. Um, so, um, like, uh, like, although I, I'm not expert in any of this, uh, Vedic cosmology or the modern cosmology, but I think, um, I still have, um, uh, a little comment on this. Okay. Um, yeah, and I, I think like up to this verse, uh, what I know is that uh, the Vedic cosmology that is going to be expanded in the following nine chapters is a description of the universal form of the Lord. It's very different from the um, observable universes that you just kindly showed us through the Harvard telescope. And, uh, actually, I, I believe there are, there are a lot of, um, disagreements if we just try to, uh, uh, put the two together on the same page. Uh, for example, there are, uh, this, uh different uh, differences in measurements and differences in descriptions. And also, like, for example, in, in the modern cosmology, you will see that the universe is, um, they uh that are see and a telescope is like unlimited in size and um in and, and and also like in depth. But the Vedic model, the Vedic cosmology is kind of have a have a certain scale, like such so many yojanas and weed so many yojanas in height and so many yojanas uh uh between the planetary systems. And uh my my comment in this disagreement is that um uh, the universal form of the Lord is not what we perceived through a uh, modern telescope. And actually we cannot see that form as Parikshrim Maharaj and uh Sri Goswami say said we cannot perceive that form through um this modern Inventions in terms of telescopes and calculations, um, like for example, you what you showed us the the galaxies which are trillions in numbers and uh, maybe also trillions light years away from us. That according to the calculations they give, um, if we think about it, is this distance in the distance between us and that objects we observed in the universe they are away from us not just in a physical distance but also in in time because if we say that planet is 10 billion light years away from us it is not just away from us by 10 billion years but also a 10 billion light year but also 10 billion years. So (laughs) if we think about it, it's actually a historical event, like how that galaxy is going to, is doing at this very moment, we actually have no idea about that. So um, in my limited interpretation, um, what we observed in the universe, uh, uh, what we observed the universe through the means of telescope is actually not the um like a skeleton um structure uh of the universe that we trying to see but rather it is a partial partial presentation of the um his, historical uh, events that are going on since that time so it's a par- partial representation of what has been what has been happening uh, since that uh, ancient remote time. It's not a static skeleton structure that are uh, described described in the Vedic uh, model.
0: Well, thank you thank for that, Nandi Mukhi. Uh, have you had the pleasure or the opportunity to read any of Sadaputa Prabhu's writings about this? Um,
2: not very seriously. Uh, I have to be honest. <laughs>
0: I would I would recommend them to you, and also I can send this link out on our on our uh, on our email server. But there's something called the Atma Atma Paradigm by uh, it's a it's a talk given every week by a Prabhu of the Bhaktivedanta Institute, very senior disciple of Srila Prabhupada, and he speaks about these kind of things. And I think all the previous recordings are also available. But I do know that Saraputta Prabhu has had some um, way of explaining the, the relationship to what's in the Bhagavatam and what uh, science says. But we can also read what uh, another point that Ravinda Suruprabhu said in something I sent you. You, cannot, you just cannot ignore the fact that the universe as described in the fifth canto is neither the universe we see nor experience because we don't see it as a chintya a beta tattva, simultaneously one and different from God. God is transcendental to the world, but the world is also included in him because Krishna and his energies are non-different, which was what we just spoke about, right? Nothing is different from Krishna, but Krishna is different from everything. When you see in that way, you start to see the universe from another perspective. According to the Bhagavatam, not only haven't we visited the moon yet, but we haven't even been to the earth. (laughs) We have to confront the fact that we have not seen things as they really are. For example, an entire world of Devatas exists, 300 and, 330 million of them who control our senses. That is, they control how and what we see. So thank you for that. And we are going to keep continuing through this inconceivable
2: Bhagavatam. <laughs> thank you, Prabhu. Thank you, much. Can I ask
6: a quick question? Yes. I, I get confused by the universal form. Uh Sometimes Prabhupada says it's an imaginary form. You know, in the ten, in the second canto also, the, there is a description that his hairs are the trees and yes. so on. So can you clarify?
0: Uh, I am going to make note of that and give you a, a well-researched answer next week. Okay, instead of just—I mean, I can say something now, but it wouldn't be thorough. So let me give you a thorough answer next week. I'm just writing it down right now. Okay?
6: Sure. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay, let's continue. The planetary systems known as Bu represents a lotus flower, and its seven islands represent the world of that flower. The length and breadth of the island known as Jambudweep, which is situated in the middle of the world, are one million yojanas, uh, eight million miles. Jambudweep is round like the leaf of a lotus flower. In Jambabit, there are non, nine dis- divisions of land each with a length of 9,000 lotus. There are eight mountains that mark the boundaries of these divisions and separate them nicely. Amidst these divisions or varshas is the varsha named Ilav- Ilavrita, which is situated in the middle of the whirl of the lotus. Within uh, Ilavrita, uh, varsha is a Sumeru Mountain, which is made of gold. Sumeru Mountain is like the that's pericarp of the lotus-like Vumandala planetary systems. The mountain's height is the same as the width of Jambadweep, or in other words, 100,000 Yojanas. Of that, uh, 16,000 Yojanas are within the earth, and therefore the mountain's height above the earth is 84,000 Yojanas. The mountain's width is 32,000 Yojanas at its summit and 16 at its base. It's more that ilabrita Varsha, and going further northward, one after another are three mountains named Nila, Sveta, and Sringavan. These mark the borders of the three varshas named Ramyaka, Hiranmaya, and Kuru and separate them from one another. The width of these mountains is 2,000 years. Lengthwise, they
2: extend... east
0: Oh, and here, thank you. Prematjarangani Devi has, by the way, posted a uh, very nice, and I'm sure it is, from karma Group, He's great at these things, class about the universal form that clarifies several things. So Prematurangani just saved me from doing a lot of research. Thank you, Prematurangani. Always saving me. Uh, the width of these mountains is 2,000 yojanas. Lengthwise, they extend east and west to the beaches of the ocean of salt water. Going from south to north, the length of each mountain is one-tenth shorter than that of the previous mountain, but the height of all is the same. Similarly, south of the Labritsa of Arsha and extending from east to west are the three great mountains named uh, Nishadha, uh, Hemakuta, and Himalaya. Each of them is 10,000 yojanas high. They mark the boundaries of the three Varsha, named Varsha Purusha Varsha, and Parat Varsha. In the same way, east and west and east of Dilavrita Varsha are two great mountains named Ma- uh, Malayavan and Gandamandana respectively. These two mountains, which are 2,000 yojanas high, extend as far as Nila Mountain in the north and Nishadha in the south. They indicate the boundaries of Ila, Vrita, Ila Vrata Varsha and also the Varsha is known as Ketumala and Badrashva. Badrash, On the four sides of the great mountains known as Sumeru are four mountains, Mandara, Meru Mandala, Mandara, Suparshva, and Kumunda. Each are like its belts. The length and height of these mountains are calculated to be 10,000 yojanas. Standing like flagstaffs on the summits of these four mountains are a mango tree, a rose apple tree, a kadamba tree, and a banyan tree. These trees are calculated to have a width of 100 yojanas and a height of 1,100 yojanas. Their branches are spread to a radius of 1,100 yojanas. Maharaj Prichit, best of the Bharat dynasty. Between these four mountains are four huge lakes. The water of the first tastes like milk, the water of the second like honey, that of the third like sugar cane. The fourth is filled with pure water. The celestial beings such as Siddhas, jarnas, and kandarvas, who are also known as demigods, enjoy the facilities of those four lakes. Consequently, they have the natural perfections of mystic yoga, such as the power to become smaller than the smallest or greater than the greatest. There are four celestial gardens named Nandana, Chaitra Ratha, Jaka, and Sarvatobhadra. The best of the demigods, along with their wives, who are like ornaments of heavenly beauty, meet together and enjoy within those gardens, while their glories are sung by lesser demigods known as Gandharvas. On the lower slopes of the Mandara mountain is a mango tree named Devachuta. It is 1100 yojanas high as mangoes, as big as mountain peaks, and as sweet as nectar fall from the top of this tree for the enjoyment of the denizens of heaven. When all those solid fruits fall from such a height, they break, and the sweet, fragrant juice from within them flows out and becomes increasingly uh, more fragrant as it mixes with other scents. That juice cascades from the mountains and the waterfalls and becomes a river called Arun Nodha, which flows pleasantly through the eastern side of Ilevratta. The pious wives of Yaksha's act as personal maidservants to assist Lavani, uh, the wife of Lord Shiva. Because they drink the water of the river Arunoda, their bodies become fragrant, and as the air carries away their, that fragrance, it perfumes the entire atmosphere for 80 miles around. Similarly, the fruits of the Jambu tree, which are full of pulp and have very small seeds, fall from a great height. And break to pieces. Those fruits are the size of elephants, and the juice gliding from them becomes a river named Jambu Nadi. This river falls a distance of ten thousand yojanas from the summit of Meru Mandara to the southern side of
1: uh,
0: and floods the entire land of Ilavrita with juice. The mud on both banks of the river Jambu Nadi become moistened by the flowing juice, and then dried by the air and the sunshine produces huge quantities of gold known as Jambunada, the denizens of heaven use this gold for various kinds of ornaments. Therefore, all the inhabitants of the heavenly planets and their youthful wives are fully decorated with golden helmets, bangles, and belts, and thus they enjoy life. Um, writes that uh, thus the men and women are decorated there with various golden ornaments, and they look very nice. Unfortunately, on earth, there is such a scarcity Of gold that the governments of the world try to keep it in reserve and issue paper currency right but I don't I forget the year somebody could Google it you know when we went off the gold standard in America was that during Nixon's time someone could Google it but uh, so in that sense Prabhupada is saying that because the currency is not backed up by gold the paper they distribute as money is worthless but nevertheless the people on earth are very proud of their material advancement. Now, of course, you can use that paper, or these days the electronic numbers, and you can buy things on Amazon, and you can buy cars, and you can buy houses, and and all those things. But it is a a fact that oh, no, thank you, nineteen seventy one. So that was Nixon. I was right, right? Nixon was president. That's the for-
5: silver standard, you know. Well, I actually, I think we went off the gold standard in nineteen thirty three. Just from my head, I didn't look it up. Okay, but. We're off it
1: now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then sixty-four, we went off the silver standard. They oh, took just... the the silver coins. No, I think it was seventy-three.
0: Well, uh, I have, so far I'm going to believe Rushby because I'm sure she didn't like memorizes. She looked it on the internet, but not always. The internet is always right, but uh, <laughs> if you find it from a reliable source. But the point is, Prabhupada is saying here that we're no longer on the gold standard, and and you see in India. That um, I remember when, when, I, when I got married, and I had very little money anyway, but somebody was saying, so how much gold are you going to buy your wife? Because that's one, that's like a reserve that you have. They didn't say how much you know, rupees are you going to put in your um, mattress. <laughs> but that was kind of this idea. Uh, here, Rashmi is saying, Britain stopped using the gold standard in 1931, and the U.S. followed in 1933 and abandoned the remnants of the system in 1973. Okay, thank you, Rashmi. So we are off it now, uh, like that. So in modern times, girls and ladies have ornaments made of plastic instead of gold, and plastic utensils are used instead of gold ones, yet people are very proud of their material wealth. <laughs> so sometimes it's gold, sometimes it's stainless steel, I mean, sometimes it's stainless steel, sometimes it's plastic. Right. But it's, uh, I'm talking about um, utensils, not ornaments. I don't know that many stainless steel ornaments. Um, but Prabhupada's <laughs> just trying to, you know, sometimes I, I, I you get the feeling and, and it seems to work that he's trying to just wake us up and get us out of this idea that the way we're seeing the world now, the way we're living in the world is the way it's always been and the way it's supposed to be. Right. And he says, therefore, the people of this age are described as manda sumanda matayo, manda bhagya, In other words, they are extremely bad and slow to understand the opulence of the supreme personality of Godhead. They had been—if somebody could even Google uh, how much gold is there in the world. But I know it's—it's it's so many cubic meters. It's not that much. I don't even know if it would fill a few football fields. Uh, in other words, okay, uh there have been they have been described as sumana matya because their conceptions are so crippled that they expect they accept a bluffer who produces a little gold to be God. Because they have no gold in their possession, they actually are poverty-stricken and therefore they are considered unfortunate. So I was also picking up on this uh point that I won't mention anyone by name. That's not really necessary, but there are some yogis and coming, especially coming out of India, that have you know been purported to uh, produce gold chains and, and things like this, and people start believing that they are that they are God. And it's, it's such a misunderstanding when we start thinking about how that galaxy, that picture we saw, the galaxy, is one of two trillion galaxies. <laughs> and, and there's so many universes. And then we, we forgot to mention, right, that each universe is said to come out of the, the, uh, the what is it, the glands or the hole in the skin of Mahavishnu. <laughs> so that's God. And not someone who can kind of produce a, a gold chain or have some small mystic powers like that. And, and people can be so gullible. And Prabhupada talked about this last week. He said it's so hard to spread Krishna consciousness when people are accepting you know, people as God, when they're just, you know, they can produce a little gold or they can read your mind a little, you know, because our understanding of God is so much more that, or not our understanding, but the Shastra's understanding of God. It's so much greater than that. It's it's not just uh, someone who can... When I was reading somewhere, he said, yes, my stopwatch stopped, and then I saw and the other people in the room, their their watches stopped, and I knew he was God, because he could get our watches to stop. So, (laughs) you know, uh, Krishna is Yogeshwara. He's the controller of all yogis who may have a little power here and there. Some thoughts on this point?
2: Okay. Hare Krishna, Prabhu.
0: Yes, Nandimoku.
2: Um I'm sorry, I don't have a point. On, uh, I don't have a comment on this point, but I do have a little doubt about the verse we just read, uh, specifically verse 5 and verse 7 in the in, in, um, could I come up uh, speak them now? Yes, sure. Uh, it's just a, 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 some a, some technical details with regard to the length and breadth of the jambudvipa. Uh, uh, in verse in verse five, I see that the length and breadth of the jambud uh, of jambudvipa is one million yojanas. And I suppose that's one followed by six zeros. Okay. And and then in verse seven, we uh, in the middle part of this verse, it said, the uh, the mountain's height is the same as the width of Jambudvipa. In other words, uh, one, uh, one hundred thousand yojanas, which is one followed by five zeros.
0: Well, it, um. It would, the best thing would be for us to uh, get someone from the Bhaktiran Institute maybe on one of these calls, maybe Prishni Devi, but sometimes there's also typos in the books okay. and it could be as simple as that you know there's, okay. a, whole, um, there's a whole email address for corrections in the in the Bhagavatam. and right now there's a team of devotees, um, including our dear Radhika Raman Prabhu. And um, and Tamal um, Krishnamaraj's brother, uh, Kalachanji Prabhu, who's a professor, uh, and they're going through the entire Bhagavatam and in taking those into account and editing it uh, to make it um, to correct any, any. Obviously, there's no philosophical
2: yeah.
0: uh, edits that need to be made, but there may be small things like that. Okay, yes. Nandi, but I'll also, I can also check with. Krishni about that the difference between verse five and seven and if she has the same agreement or not because uh, I I used to be a facil- I used to facilitate some of the calls with the bi I had no idea what they were talking about it was all going way over my head I mean because they were trying to just they're trying to create this uh, chandelier that Prabhupada wanted which depicted these chapters in the temple in Mayapur and 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 you know they're uh physicists and this and that and i'm just you know conflict resolution guy <laughs> doesn't know about these things but there are devotees who have studied this thread there okay so okay. i will uh I'll, uh ask about that
2: thank you for taking this seriously thank you sure. so much no more problems
0: Sorry, Krishna. anything else on fake gods and uh, or or just the Plastic nature of our life. Remember that they, they, when one of our Junas names is Dananjaya, I do one conquer of wealth, one who collects wealth. And it was explained that he had to go up into the, the mountains, wasn't it? That people had they would eat off of gold plates and then throw the plates out, just like we throw out plastic. And so he was collecting those and getting money back in the coffers in the in Hastinapur
3: (laughs) Hare Krishna Prabhu
0: yes Ananda Rupa
3: so I have a little comment which is not directly related with Jambu Dweep I mean the description but uh, reading the uh, the vastness of uh, all this uh, um, Dweep description uh, with reference to geographical description I mean and also about uh, the gold talk we did earlier. I was thinking, uh, I was trying to relate it to the opulences, the the way Prabhupada has referred to um, opulences in his several uh, lectures and sections we have read before. I thought I'll mention it here that, um, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, renunciation earlier in the beginning. And so I was thinking of two examples. One example is Jar Bharat. Recently we read about him. Who? Totally renounced. Jar Bharat? Jar Bharat.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He was totally renounced. So so seems like uh, Lord doesn't disturb those souls, saintly souls who are totally re- renounced, You know, without, you know, with the offering of, you know, like, uh, we like to understand that we should make all offerings with love, and Krishna takes the essence and He provides us. He takes care of us in every possible way with what we need. So, someone could be in material consciousness asking for, uh, fructive benedictions, you know, and someone could be really asking for bhakti. But Krishna sees the essence and He provides everyone what they need. So, um, So we have an example of Jarbharat and he was totally renounced. So Krishna doesn't bother him uh, with, uh, you know, giving him the opulences and all. Rather, he has the benediction of bhakti. And on the other hand, we have Sudama who approached Krishna, even though he was initially encouraged by his wife to visit because of their poverty. But he was so overwhelmed and uh, in total pure devotion. He dare not ask anything. He was just too happy with how he was received. Right. And so, and then in spite of that, Krishna blessed him with all the opulence he needed. Right. So just, I was trying to relate, uh, you know, so we, we have facilities. I mean, I was trying to relate it with the real renunciation in life to how to come to that level. But we work so hard at some point we receive this knowledge. And then, so we have to try to practically see how to apply it. It's really wonderful if we will be, we are able to use everything in service of Krishna, seeing everything in proper perspective, you know, see in relation to Krishna. But then uh, I think that's very gradual process. And uh, it certainly helps to understand better when we read these uh, narrations and descriptions in Srimad Bhagavatam.
0: Thank you. And, and it, I think one thing we can glean from that and connect it with all of our discussions today is that despite the fact that we're in one galaxy amongst 200 trillion galaxies, and despite this universe is one mustard seed and so many mustard seeds, and despite the fact that Krishna is dancing with the Gopis and Rindav, that he reciprocates with each of his devotees individually. Mm. And so, so, he'll, so he, and in a personal way. So he doesn't even have to follow a formula because he's a person. So someone he may give great riches to. Sudama, Pundarik Vidyanidhi was a great devotee and was very opulent. Uh, King uh, Patra Purudra, etc. So many of the kings that we read about, the Bhagavatam is full of kings, right? And, and many, many opulent ones. Or someone may be like the Advanti Brahmana who lost everything or like, you know, you said the Jataparita, or Sukadeva Goswami, you know, the, the, the sadhus who had, uh, you know, nothing. So he, so even that's not like just a formula. Yes. I, I chant so many rounds per day and that translates into so many dollars. It's not like that because you're dealing with a person who knows our heart, knows what we need. And, is uh, reciprocating was individually and personally yoga, Shema, Baham, Yaham, right? Yeah. That famous verse in the Gita. So isn't that amazing? We look at this, you know, these pictures of this solar system and it's just crazy how big it is. Yet Krishna remains in our heart and he reciprocates with us individually. That's again, like how, how, how great is Krishna? how, how many living entities are there, and who keeps track of all their karma?
3: Totally inconceivable, actually. We totally <laughs> begin to understand.
0: Totally inconceivable. Yeah. and then, but yet, in the course of day-to-day life, we forget about all this stuff, and you know, we uh, we don't like the uh, person in the next cubicle who's, you know, chewing their cashews too loudly or something, <laughs> and we really get caught up in the uh, in the nuances of small things. (laughs) Thank you for that, Ananda uh, Ananda Rupa Devi.
2: Thank you. Uh,
0: Other thoughts? So, next time, all you husbands, make sure you buy your wife some nice plastic bangles. That was a joke. Okay. (laughs) Although one time, I'll just tell you a story. One time, Buritam Prabhu, was with Prabhupada. And I can't, i don't know, I, I can find it if I go into follow. It's in the book, My Glorious Master. But he was kind of like telling Prabhupada with a little pride that, I yes, I, uh, I have bought my wife some gold bangles. And Prabhupada said, she is not interested in such things. <laughs> that was <is> his reply. <laughs> and she, and the interesting in the book, My Glorious Master, she says later to her husband, Burijam Prabhu, I'm not. <laughs> but Prabhupada was still, you know, in basically encouraging that a devotee, you know. yes. But still, in many places, as we're going to read in the next purport, we just don't have the finer things in life, even in a, in a material sense. So let's read that purport now. I think it's two verses from now. So in t- 22, on the side of Suparshva Mountain stands a big tree named Maha Katamba, which is very celebrated. From the hollows of this tree flow five rivers of honey, each about five um, yamas, yamas wide. This flowing honey falls incessantly from the top of Suparshva mountain and flows all around Illabrata Vritta Barsha, beginning from the western side. Thus, the whole land is saturated with the pleasing fragrance. The air carrying the scent from the mouths of those who drink the honey perfumes the land for a hundred yojanas around. Similarly, on Kumuda Mountain, there is a great banyan tree which is called Sata Valsa because it has a hundred main branches. From those branches come many roots from which many rivers are flowing. These rivers flow down from the top of the mountain to the northern side of Ila Vrata Varsha the benefit of those who live there because of those flowing rivers all the people have ample supplies of milk yogurt honey ghee molasses food grains clothes bedding sitting places and ornaments all the objects they desire are sufficiently supplied for their prosperity and therefore they are very happy so I'll read actually it's text 25 the residents of the material world who enjoy the products of these flowing rivers have no wrinkles on their bodies and no gray hairs. Well, that shows that I'm not one of those residents. They never feel fatigue, and perspiration does not give their body a bad odor. They are not afflicted by old-age disease and untimely death. They do die. Uh, they do not suffer from chilly cold or scorching heat, nor do they. Nor do their bodies lose their luster. They all live very happily without anxiety until death. Paul oh, but right in this... This verse hints at the perfection of human society even within the material world. The miserable conditions of this material world can be corrected by a sufficient supply of milk, yogurt, honey, ghee, molasses, food grains, ornaments, bedding, sitting places, and so on. This is human society, civilization. Ample food grains can be produced through agricultural enterprises, and profuse supplies of milk, yogurt, and ghee can be arranged through cow protection. Abundant honey can be obtained in the forest if the source are protected. Unfortunately, in modern civilization, men are busy killing the cows that are the source of yogurt, milk, and ghee, and they are cutting down all the trees su- that supply honey, and they are opening factories to manufacture nuts, bolts, automobiles, and wine instead of engaging in agriculture. How can the people be happy? So in one other place, Prabhupada says the uh, um, factories are another name for hell. And having spent uh, 12 years in Detroit and being actually very close, maybe about three blocks away from a Chrysler factory, I can totally understand that. And then one time I was speaking at the, I was asked to speak at the Tata Steel uh, executives. Tata is a big company in India for those who may not be familiar so I went there and they gave me a tour of their factory the steel factory and I could understand factory is another name for health <laughs> I could really understand that so Prabhupada here is um speaking so many things and you know just a few statistics I think we know these already but 39 million cows are slaughtered in the USA per year and eight hundred thousand every day. Uh, worldwide, 800,000 cows. And then in terms of grain production, um, the, the biggest crop that is produced is corn. Um, but what's interesting is 40% of the corn is used to create ethanol, and 36% is for animal feed. And very little is used for feeding. Uh, and, and, and the what's left over? That um, 40, That's 24%. Most of that is used to produce high fructose corn syrup. So, so you know, when we hear purport, like we just hear, we're so far away from even some kind of semblance of nice, peaceful, material prosperity, where you have nice, fresh things to eat and fresh air to breathe, And, uh, you know, just there's so much bad karma in the air due to, you know, these different things that we just mentioned. So Prabhupada is creating a picture of something that is very far from reality. I mean, there may be some, I mean, I thought of this yesterday. I was interviewing two devotees from New Zealand for our GBC Strategic Planning Team videos that we produce every day. And one thing, this is an example of what you might, what I almost considered heavenly is they have no COVID-19. They had 12 cases recently and they were all people coming from outside the country. They caught them in, as they were coming in the country, they quarantined them and, and they have zero cases. All the schools are open. All the restaurants are open. Everything's completely open in the whole country. (laughs) And I mean, and for me, in where I'm sitting here in Washington D.C., that was like a heavenly planet. Just being back to normal. Of course, they have economic struggles because of COVID, uh, and because they rely a lot on tourism, and they're not allowing anyone in the country. Sorry, uh, what country was that? New Zealand. New Zealand. Yes. So we may have we may have uh, come to that platform where. Uh, What seems like a really nice place is just a place that has schools open and you can go shopping without wearing a mask. But uh, some thoughts on this, you know, because she clearly, Prabhupada, although in other places, right, he'll say the whole material world, birth, birth, death, disease, and old age, but if you're going to have some semblance of relief in the material world, this is how you have it. Nice milk, yogurt, honey, ghee, molasses, food grains, some nice ornaments, reasonable bedding, sitting places, and so on.
1: That's a a generic Garden of Eden. (laughs) I've noticed the same stories, but they don't make a big deal about it in the Sastras. But that's a Garden of Eden right there. Yeah,
0: very good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Other thoughts?
6: I have a question, Prabhu. Yes, Rasmu. I don't know the Ilavrita Varsha very well, but like, even assuming it's like a heavenly planet. Uh, so they don't experience old age and or disease, right? It's just birth and death other miseries. Is that, is that? Is That's that what uh,
0: they live very, well, it's, it's interesting you say that, right? In one sense, how can you live very happily without anxieties, knowing you're going to die eventually? <laughs> so, yes, it does seem like that they're, well, I don't, I haven't seen, let's see, well, the body, no gray hairs, no wrinkles. You're, you don't, when you sweat, you don't smell bad. Yes, you're right. Not afflicted by old age and disease. Yes, that's what it says there.
6: Okay.
0: But, you know, it doesn't mean that you're, even they say in the heavenly planets what is it that you have a gar, you, the garland that you're wearing starts wilting the last, towards the end of your life? And so you can imagine that in one sense, it must be a lot of anxiety because, it, I mean, we're, we don't want to die here. Most people, except unless they're in less, and excruciating pain, and we like to prolong our life as much as possible. So what to speak of if you're in a place like that, and then death comes, it must be even in one sense greater anxiety <clears throat> because it's so good. Right.
6: right. Yeah. yeah. You want surrender to Krishna in such a situation. Yes,
0: and therefore Krishna says in the Gita, Abrahma, Brahma Loka Punar Arvartin Orjuna." And even from the highest planet in the material world down to the lowest, all are places of suffering where in repeated birth and death take place. Still, you know, <laughs> probably some of us would say, well, I wouldn't mind vacationing there. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it is explained other places in the Shastra that we're so lucky, and even here in the fifth canto, yeah. uh, that we're so lucky because we have this kind of mixture of happiness and distress. Um, enough so that we don't think that this is such a great place. Uh, whereas in the heavenly planets, you can get so distracted by the pleasures of it that you may not take to spiritual life so easily. Other thoughts? Okay, okay then we, uh, gosh, for the first time ever, we might end early. But I'm just going to read the final verses of this chapter, X 26. There are other mountains beautifully arranged around the foot of Mount Meru, like the filaments around the whirl of a lotus flower. Their names are Kuranga, Kurara, Kusumba, Vaikanka, Trikuta, Shishira, Patanga, Ruchaka, Nishadha, Shinivasa, Kapila, Shamka, Vaidurya, Jarudhi, Hansa, Vishab, Naga, uh, Kalang, Jara, and Narva. On the eastern side of the Sumeru mountain are two mountains named Jatara and Devakuta, which extend to the north and south for 18,000 yojanas. Similarly, on the western side of Sumeru are two mountains named Pavana, Pariyatra, and Pariyatra, which also extend north and south for the same distance. On the southern side of Sumeru, are two mountains named Kailas and Karavira, which extend east and west for 18,000 yojanas. And on the northern side of Sumeru, extending for the same distance east and west, are two mountains named Trishinga and Makara. The width and height of these mountains are 2,000 yojanas. Sumeru, a mountain of solid gold, shining as brilliantly as fire, is surrounded by these eight mountains. In the middle of the summit of Meru is the township of Lord Brahma. Each of its four sides is calculated to extend for 10 million yojanas. It is made entirely of gold and therefore learned scholars and sages call it Kombi. Surrounding Brahmapuri in all directions are the residence of the eight principal governors of the planetary systems beginning with King Indra. These abodes are similar to Brahmapuri but are one-fourth the sides. And thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the fifth canto, 16th chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled A Description of Jambudvipa. Very good. So we will, uh, We gosh, we even have two or three, we have a few minutes left. Any last questions or comments before we end for the week? Very good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, yes. Just good, a
4: quick clarification. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the Jambudvipa is, he's referring to the earth, right? The earth planet, right? or the...
0: um i think it's much more than that uh, again um this is not my field of expertise but i could look into that now pramantrangany Devi has just also put uh two links from um richard thompson that's another name for Sataputa prabhu and he in those two videos i assume he's going into much more detail about these things and he is well, he's no longer with us. He's passed away, but he um, is a, he's a genius. <laughs> he really is. A, uh, I can tell you this, that when I lived in San Diego, and he was living there also, and you know how devotees sometimes might doodle during class, you know, make a little design or something like that, just kind of fix their mind. His doodling was long mathematical equations. <laughs> That was his doodling. Uh, uh, a brilliant, brilliant mind that he has. So, um, does anyone else uh, know enough to answer that question about Chamudweep?
3: Hare Krishna Prabhu.
0: Yes or not, Prabhu?
3: So, um, I faintly recall as we read through these verses, there was mention of seven islands and seven oceans. So naturally, uh, you know, we tend to think that maybe they're talking about Earth. So, yes, would like to see the links which have been sent out. Uh, We are all curious to know. You see them in chat? Uh, Uh, Yeah, the links are there. Haven't seen them yet. So later we'll check them out. Yes, Uh, please do. During the chapter reading, we did come across the terms, you know, seven islands and seven oceans. And there was mention of Himalayas also. uh, And uh,
4: one more thing. One more thing is that, like, I uh, there is a reference for Bhu Mandala. Like, when he was talking about uh, Jambudvipa, the verse itself, it's coming Bhu Mandala. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh-huh. I'm just trying to understand, is when he refers to Bhu Mandala, is it like Jambudvipa is like the earth he's referring? I'm uh,
0: just looking at the introduction to this, while describing the character of Maharaj Priya brought in as the descendant Sukadeva Swami also described Meru Mountain and the planetary system's system. It's a planetary system known as Bumandala. Bumandala is like a lotus flower and its seven islands are compared to the world of lotus. The place known as Jambudweep is in the middle of that world. Um, better that we get people who, you know, this is, like I said, this is um, not my field of expertise. And I would be happy to get someone like Krishni Devi on one of these calls, or maybe even a Kandhati Prabhu, if he'd be willing. Um, and then you can ask him all these kind of questions and get paka answers. But also, if you get a chance, please do uh, look at those two references or three references that Premacharunani. But but you you would need to copy them now because once the class is over, the the although I I think I the Zoom chat is saved. But I still suggest you copy those two
5: references.
4: I already copied it. Prabhupada. Thank you,
0: Divya Anand. You were going to say something, Prabhu.
5: So, yeah. Hare Krishna Prabhu, I was just uh, just a thought in my mind reading that verse twenty-five, which is um, just thinking that the uh, heavenly planets have like a lifespan of like ten thousand years or more, and whereas material world where we live in, we don't even reach sometimes hundred. So it's just. I wish because I was I was just wishing that maybe maybe there should be a middle ground somewhere because because I feel like the time when we realize that um, we have to surrender to Krishna and we have to do devotional service sometimes we half of our life or most of our life is gone. So it's just just a thought that came to my mind. Yeah.
0: Well, you can take shelter of uh, who is it? Khandanga Maharaj in the first Kanta that. Uh, he, he found out that he just had moments left to live and he perfected his life in those moments. Yeah. He had that benediction that he would could ask when he was going to pass away. So, okay, so believe it or not, our time is up. We're up to the 12 o'clock. And we will send out the readings for next week.
2: And thank you very much for your association. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.